Welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I am your host, Heather Evans, and on September 28, 2021, the country celebrated National Voter Registration Day. You may have noticed the hashtags on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So today's show will focus on the one piece of civic engagement that everybody's talking about, voting. I'm joined today by three guests. First, Bobby Gentry is a scholar of teaching and learning who focuses on improving student engagement in the classroom through simulations, policy problem solution proposals, and research projects. She is also a youth voting scholar and does extensive research in political identity development. Dr. Gentry has recently published her book, Why Youth Vote, Identity, Inspirational Leaders, and Independence with Springer. Her current work on the scholarship of teaching and learning includes best practices in internships, curriculum review in higher education, and identity development in the political science classroom. Mary Jennings is president of the League of Women Voters of Washington County, Virginia, a position she has held for eight years. Before retirement, she was an English and journalism teacher at Abingdon High School. And finally, Amelia Strauth is a senior political science major at UVA Wise. Amelia is from Monticello, Georgia, but resides in Clintwood, Virginia. After graduation, Amelia plans to attend the Appalachian School of Law to pursue a law degree. She has worked on several voter registration drives, as well as voting information efforts here in our community. So I want to begin by thanking all three of you for being on the program today. And here in Virginia, well, we're, we're pretty lucky. Elections are kind of a way of life. They are happening all the time. So Mary, as the president of the League of Women Voters, I want to turn to you first. Can you give us all some information about the elections that are coming up here in Virginia? What, what's on the ballot for people this year? Well, we have a governor's race, a lieutenant governor's race, attorney general, and basically Terry McCullough, who used to be governor, is running again against Glenn Youngkin, who has been, this is his first time running, and he was a hedge fund operator uh, owner, I think. The race is currently um, competitive. There uh, in Washington County, we have a sc- three candidates for school board who are incumbents and not opposed. Uh, that's Dwayne Ball, Mike Rush, and Randy Pennington. And we have competitive races in the school board, which means that uh, Tracy Mercier and uh, Jenny Nichols are running in the Wilson District. Tom Music and Debbie Anderson are running in the Taylor District, and uh, Sanders Henderson is running in the Jefferson District, and he's unopposed. Um, The School board races are important this year because there has been a lot of controversy in Washington County related to the school board. That's a great point. And actually, I want to talk about that today and not so much the controversy at school board meetings, but more about how a lot of times when we think about elections, we see higher voter turnout for national elections, elections where the president is on the ballot or people running for the presidency or even just people running for congressional seats. And a lot of times we kind of ignore these off-year statewide elections. And Mary, from your experience, given that you're with the League of Women Voters here in Washington County, 
Do you think these local races are actually more impactful on people's lives? I think they certainly are. Um, the It depends. I mean, your taxes depend on who is on the board of supervisors. Your, um, well, I just saw today that in Montgomery County, the board of supervisors, I think, is encouraging vouchers for a school board. And that's, in my opinion, not a good thing because it diminishes the uh, importance of public schools. And so small issues can make a very great dish. Well, what might be local issues can make a great difference in people's actual day-to-day lives. Yeah. And I, I think all of this goes back to some of those things we saw in the summer where people were coming out to school board meetings too, because those things directly affect their children. Right. And they, right. they're very passionate about that. Now, I, I also heard that there have been some changes in terms of absentee ballots. Correct. Can you can you give us some information about that? The state League of Women Voters tried very hard to maintain not requiring a witness signature for mail in or absentee ballots. However, that was I think the state Supreme Court said that that couldn't be continued. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, a witness signature is now required for mail-in ballots. And this can be difficult for elderly people who live alone to get a witness signature, but um, they just need to be sure that they do this year. Uh, This last year, we had for the first time early voting and I think an awful lot of people found it very convenient. Uh, So (laughs) there are no lines with early voting. You can just walk up to the registrar's office. And um, as long as you have some identifying information, uh, you're cool. Yeah. And it's been open now for about a week and a half here. And I've noticed different people, different friends of mine going ahead and voting, uh, which is which is great. And if we think back to 2020 versus even four years prior, there was a significant increase in the number of people casting ballots. And part of that was, well, we had additional opportunities to cast those ballots, right? We had more time, we had more access and and all of that. Accessibility is huge. Again, I mean, in 2020, we saw the highest rate of youth voters since the passage of the 26th Amendment 50 years ago. So it's, it's this amazing opportunity when we increase access, people are more likely to participate, which is what we want in a democracy. And, and especially young people, since we are celebrating 50 years since the passage of the 26th Amendment, this is a great year for youth turnout to represent and to be out there. But 48% of young people, we beat the record that was set in 1972 for the presidential election. In, in 2020, and it was because of accessibility. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking about how, you know, yesterday, um, so I know that the, this program is going to air on Thursday at six, and we're, we're filming it this morning, the day after the National Voter mm-hmm. Registration Day. Um, but yesterday, with that event, which has been nationally recognized now since 2012, The purpose is to just bring to people's attention that you can get registered and here's how to register to vote to kind of be prepared and to also just increase information about how you vote in any way, shape or form, right? How can you vote by absentee? 
how can you vote in person? Can you go early? When can you go? What are the hours and all of that? You mentioned, Bobby, that this is so important for democracy because we do want all voices heard. Democracy works better if we hear from everybody, but every single year, more and more, like we see millions of people, eligible voters who are unable to cast a ballot because of perhaps they've missed a registration deadline or they have outdated registration information or some other problem. So we, we want to bring awareness to if you're going to vote, <laughs> register now, right? Um, so Amelia, I know you've been working on voter registration both on campus and then also in the schools, the high schools here. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what you're seeing? I mean, you're a college student. Do you see excitement around elections? Have you been seeing that over the last year? Are you still seeing that this year? And, and what's your experience been like? I feel like most college students, they either don't really care or they're really excited. There's really no in between. And what I like to say is it's easy to say, well, I'm just one person. My vote doesn't matter. But especially for women and minorities, if you think about how we didn't always have the right to vote, and if you think about all the people who fought and some even died for our right to vote, that's when they're like, oh, well, maybe it does matter that I vote because people fought so hard for this right. And I learned a lot last fall about how some countries still don't have the right to vote. A lot of countries don't, and they're actively fighting for that right. And we kind of take it for granted that we have the right to vote. So when I bring up those topics at these voter registration drives, that's when people are like, maybe it is important that I vote. Like maybe my vote really does matter. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. It's really people either don't care. And most people that don't care, they don't know all of that. Do you think that's also associated with how their families feel about voting? Like, do you think that students are more likely to vote or think about voting if their parents have talked about voting with them? I think where we kind of inherit our parents' beliefs on voting, it's probably the same thing. Like, if you if your parents don't think it's important, you probably don't either. I, that's kind of how, like, my mom doesn't really care much about voting, and so... I didn't really care much about it until I started college and learned about it. I was like, this is so important and everybody should vote. And I've talked to my mom about my mom about it. I'm like, mom, like your ancestors didn't have this right. Like, why are you just not even caring, you know, and she votes now. So it's so cool that you are influencing your mom. It's like reverse socialization, right? The, the, the child is then impacting their parent. And that's so cool. Um, so I want to talk now a little bit with Bobby because I want to hear about your research. You do research on young people. Tell me, I mean, what what works with young people in terms of getting them excited about voting, getting them out to vote? What do we know? Well, I want to talk about what Amelia said, um, which is what was really important. We know that parents that take their children to the polls, those children, when they grow up and are eligible to vote, are more likely to vote. And so they're specific practices that we as a society can engage in that encourages participation, even of our youngest voters. And so we we have the data on it. There's a couple of different things. Young people asking other young people to vote is a fantastic uh, opportunity because we find that when it comes from an older adult, it doesn't actually work as well as it does coming from a peer asking others to vote. And what's the fascinating thing is actually of all ages, just asking somebody to vote isn't 
is an easy ask, but also it encourages people to participate. And so that's kind of a fantastic opportunity. What elections provide us are these also these important moments to think about, all right, what problems am I thinking about that are going on in my community, in my state, in my nation? And to reflect on what are my priorities? What are the things that I care about? And so it gives us this time of self-reflection to then live our values in the voting booth. And it gives us this time to say, all right, well, what are the big issues going on? What, what do I think about those big issues that are going on? Um, and then to go back to Mary's point, she made an excellent point about, we often talk about it, one of the challenges with federalism, which I've been talking about, I feel like for weeks, but I've just been talking about it in all of my classes. But, you know, the division of power, money, and responsibility between national, state, and local government, which my students can also quote, it's great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's this, uh, the way that we've uh, structured the system makes it harder for people to come together for collective action. But the, the issue is, as exactly as you said, Heather, people are more likely to pay attention to national elections than they are to state and local elections. But Mary was right when she said a lot of the decisions, a lot of the rules and laws that we're dealing with day to day come from local and state. And so not only do we have big executive positions and school board positions, it's also our state legislature is up for, for election this year. And so there is opportunity to think about what problems do I see in my community and my state that I want to work on? What policy priorities and how do I communicate that? Because the easiest way that we can communicate it is through voting. And what I often tell people is representation matters, right? We know that when we have more women in the legislature, we tend to have more issues, women's issues addressed. We know that when there's um, more representative legislatures that they tend to listen to their constituents more. And one of the challenges that we face, especially with young people, is this challenge of what we call the cycle of mutual neglect. When young people aren't, aren't paying attention and aren't voting in elections, then candidates aren't paying attention to those voters because candidates are gonna go after voters where they can guarantee that they're gonna go out and vote. And the challenge is, that many candidates and political parties and society believe that young people don't vote. Well, that's a complete misrepresentation. You're only focusing on half of the population, which is why I got into studying what I got into studying because I said, you're only looking at half the story. Maybe we should look at the young people that do participate and what encourages them to participate so that we can encourage others to participate. That is an excellent point. And let me interject for just a moment in case we have people who are just now tuning in. Um, hi, everyone. This is Red, White, and Confused, and I'm your host, Heather Evans. And today, we've been talking about the importance of voting. And I've been joined by three wonderful guests. First, Bobby Gentry, who is a scholar of teaching and learning, who focuses on improving student engagement in the classroom through simulations policy problem solutions pr proposals and research projects. She's also a youth voting scholar and does extensive research in political identity development. And her first book, Why Youth Vote, Identity, Inspirational Leaders and in Independence is available from Springer. Mary Jennings is the president of the League of Women Voters of Washington County here, and she has had that position for eight years. And then we're also joined by Amelia Strauth, 
who is a senior political science major at UVA Wise and plans to go to the Appalachian School of Law once she finishes her degree. So Amelia, when you're hearing about Bobby's research and some of what she's finding there, given your personal experience doing voter registration on college campuses and also with high school students, does it stack up? I mean, does, does it pan out? Does, is that similar to what you're seeing there? Oh, yeah, I definitely think they do. Is there anything that strikes you as, oh, yeah, we need to we need to think about that, especially I was thinking about it as you were saying it, Bobby, the peer to peer that having someone who looks like you encourage you to engage is more effective than having someone who doesn't look like you. What do you think about that theory, Amelia? I think it makes total sense. Um, I think what she said about how if you have a parent that takes you to the polls, then you're more likely to vote. I think that makes a lot of sense too, just by what I've seen. Yeah, this is similar to those dinner table conversations as well that, you know, if, if you're a young person and you're exposed to conversations with your family where they're talking about politics, then you become more socialized into politics and you become more likely to vote. Um, so let's turn back a little bit to Bobby's research. And so, Bobby, um, I, well, first of all, as you all know, I teach over at UVA Wise and I have students every once in a while who will say to me, well, you know, I really shouldn't vote. My my one vote, it doesn't really make a difference. And so, Bobby, in, in terms of your research and, and everything that you do, what do you tell those students when they say something like that to you? So I, I answer that in a couple of different ways. Because what we're talking about here is representation and how you are represented. Because we live in not a pure democracy, but a representative republic, which means that we have people that we elect that are supposed to represent us in office especially in the legislature. And that's in the state legislature, that's in the national legislature, that's on city council, that's on school board. But we elect these individuals to make decisions for us so that we don't spend all of our time making decisions about government ourselves. But if we're not voting, what happens is that our voice isn't heard. And so what that means is that if your voice isn't heard, then how are we to know what problems we should be addressing? what policy priorities we should have. What, what do the citizens actually think about issues facing the state? I mean, many school boards this summer uh, had to make decisions about how to implement transgender rights and protections as a form of Title IX as a result of state action, right? As a result of the Department of Education. And so school boards struggled with this, communities struggled with this. And so, having your voice heard on even a local issue is that about how to implement this is extremely important because we need to know what people think and how we express that. The easiest way that we can express that is through voting. And that is the highest percentage of participation that people do. There are other forms of participation, like writing a letter to the editor to convey to your uh, fellow citizens, hey, here's the issues that are, here's the issues that matter. Here's what, here's how we should be thinking about this. Here's how some questions that we can be thinking about. We have people running for office, right? But at, in the United States, there's a threshold for running for office. Often an individual not only needs lead time, but running a campaign costs money. And so these are challenges that we face. We're volunteering on a campaign and perhaps the least time, least time consuming and accessible 
is voting. And so it allows us to have our voices heard, to put our, to be clear about what our priorities are. And it allows us to show that we're showing up. It encourages us to be active participants in politics rather than passive observers. And so it's this opportunity for us to become members of the democracy that we live in instead of seeing it pass us by. And it's these state and local issues. I think I don't, I always ask this question at the beginning of my American government class. Does anybody think that, that you know, does anybody think that we don't have any problems in the United States? I never get any hand raises, but it's an opportunity to address what problems that we see in our communities in our state and in our nation. And so we can identify problems. We realize that there's problems and we can be active participants to help solve these problems because we've solved the easy problems in politics, right? Mm -hmm. We've solved them. So the problems that we're dealing with today are complex, they're complicated, they're wicked problems. And so what we need is diverse ideas, multiple viewpoints, different ways of looking at problems. And that's one of the beautiful things about youth voters is the innovation that they can bring and that they do bring to politics, whether it's to as candidates or to campaigns or to voting, saying, here's the priorities, here's things that we need to be paying attention to. And Mary, I, I mean, here in Virginia, we've had some elections decided by a single vote, right? I mean, that, that, that has won. happened. Yeah. So do you tell people that they're, you know, one vote can make a difference? Of course. Um, the election that you're referring to, I think, is in 2018 when uh, there was a Virginia race for House of Delegates in which the challenger supposedly defeated the incumbent. Then there was a recount in which there was a tie. And then um, the tie was decided by drawing an uh, name out of a bowl. The Republican whose name was chosen, uh, David Yancey, um, allowed the House of Delegates, well, his win allowed the House of Delegates to be controlled by Republicans, uh, 51 to 49. Mm-hmm. And that led to probably the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, not being ratified. So from the League of Women Voters' point of view, that was um, a, uh, a, a House of Delegates race, which did obviously make a difference. And one more vote on a different side might have changed the course of Virginia uh, history. That's a great point about how, you know, <laughs> sometimes when you see two candidates on a screen, you think, oh, this is just a popularity contest. But it's it's a lot more than that. There's an example of uh, one vote affecting a race, affecting who gets selected as the winner, but then that person also affecting policy that comes out of an elected body that is representative of the whole. And so elections absolutely do matter, and one vote absolutely can make a difference. Bobby, I want to come back to you for just a moment about this whole idea of, you know, my vote doesn't matter and all of that, like I, that this, what we hear in the classroom sometimes, or even on the street, like, why should I vote? Um, and representation. So you mentioned representation a few times today and how representation is so important. So Bobby, how can we advise students or really anyone on how to make a decision on who to vote for? Can I answer it two ways? 
Absolutely. Because I want to answer your question about representation. Um, and the reason why I think that this is so important is because I not only do youth voting, I do college student voting. And I have worked for decades on this now since I was a college student because I was denied the right to vote even though I lived off campus at a separate housing, not on campus housing, they rejected mine and several other students registration and actually threatened to throw me in jail. <laughs> yeah. Um, Whoa. So, yeah, absolutely. So I've been working on college student voting rights and here's the fun thing about representation. So we live in a representative republic, like I said before, but it's also the case about how people are counted and where people are counted, because this matters, especially for national elections, election of the president for the electoral college votes and elections of the House of Representatives, because we do representation based on population for the House of Representatives. Now, this is important because we do the census every 10 years. And here's what the census says about college students. College students are counted where they are nine months out of, the, out of the year. So where college students are nine months out of the year is in their college towns. So this also applies to state representation because state legislatures are going to make and draw lines and make decisions about representation based on population within their state on the census. And so this matters because it because it is not only college students are counted in their college towns and then often denied the right to vote in their college towns, but it's also federal money varies based on the population of your state. Mm -hmm. Representation at the state and local level about how much representation each area gets depends on the census. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I'm often challenged by is if we if communities get all of these benefits for having college students in them, for increased representation in the national legislature, in the state legislature, increased funding because of the population, but then to deny college students voting rights in that area is a serious, yeah. serious challenge. But for college students, uh, the big thing is, and for youth voters in general, it's spending time doing that piece, which is reflecting. So this is part of what I do with political identity development, that we go through these different stages in our lives. And here's the fascinating thing. It's it's a it's a step-by-step -step process, but here's here's the best part. You can be a fully developed adult in, and have your fully developed political identity. And then you have this moment of crisis where either a situation or a policy area or a candidate or a political party disappoints you and it can send you into this self-questioning phase of well who, who am I who am I politically and what does this mean and so part of what I study with young people is that what we need to do is to encourage and we need to encourage young people to reflect on the things that they care about and to question themselves Questioning oneself and one's identity is part of the identity development process. And sometimes we don't question ourselves, like Amelia said, sometimes we take on the identity of our parents. And that's not always healthy because then we don't know how to address challenges or questions. Well, why, why do I think that way? And so this is a process that happens over time. 
and can happen throughout the lifetime. And so giving these opportunities for us to think about what problems do we see? What issues do we care about? What do we wanna do about it? Because here's the thing, when we, when we know who we are, we're more likely to act on who we are. And so matching not only our identity, but matching our actions to our identity is really important. And that's why in my research, you find this really fascinating thing where there's these independents that are pure independents. And then there's what I call default independents. And these are young people who I'm independent because I don't want to choose a political party versus I've thought yeah. about the two political parties and I don't want to be a part of either one of those political parties. I'm going to choose independence and they have different voting. The young people who have an identity of a pure independent and have thought about it and now identify as an independent are more likely to vote than those default independents. And so that's why identity matters and spending time and reflecting on this. And that's what elections really give us is this opportunity to reflect on what problems are there? What opportunities are there? How can I participate? How can I engage? How can I, how can my voice be heard? Because your voice matters, your vote matters, and you matter. Well, that is a perfect way to end this segment. And before we completely end, I want to say, if you are not, if you're listening today and you are not registered to vote, there is still time to do so. The deadline to register to vote here in Virginia uh, for the November 2nd election is October 12th. You can register to vote in person at your local voter registrar's office, print out a registration form and mail it in, or you can sign up online. And if you're not sure whether or not you're registered, there's also a place online where you can check this information. If you're at UVA Wise, by the way, you can also stop by the tables that we've been working out there uh, that we're also going to be at on October 4th, 5th, and 6th, and the 12th. And finally, to find out how candidates really feel about issues in Washington County, Virginia, there is a Washington County Candidates Forum for School Board and the Board of Supervisors that will be held on October 7th at 7 p.m. at Abingdon High School. So thanks to all of you again for being a guest on the program today, and thank you all for listening. If you missed any piece of the broadcast today, you can listen again wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify and Amazon. See you next time.